Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. I want to just share with you for a little while this morning on a message I've titled, Finishing Strong. It's so important that we finish uh, strong in our walk with God. There's several scriptures that always kind of, when I read them, they, they just they kind of prick me, they prick me in my heart. It's like they, they kind of give me a little, a little jolt. And, uh, and they all have to do with how we finish this walk with God. In Matthew 24, 13, it says, it says, he who endures, Jesus is talking about the end times. He says, he who endures to the end will be saved. You know, and every time I read that, I think it takes endurance to make it to the end. You can't just coast. It, there's, there's opposition. Every one of us is going to encounter opposition to our walk with God as we, as we go about our daily lives. And we have to endure. We have to press in order to make it to the end successfully the way God wants us to. In other scriptures, it say something similar. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, we're to run the race with endurance that's set before us. Each one of us has our own race, our own course to run. We can't look at anyone else and say, well, God is blessing them, he's not blessing me, or whatever. We, we each have our own difficulties we have to overcome. But we have to run the race with endurance that is set before us. And my, one of my favorite scriptures is in 2 Timothy 4, 7, when the Apostle Paul comes to the end of his life. Well, let, me, let me just go there and read it, because it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful scripture. In 1 Timothy 4, 7. The Apostle Paul says, for I'm, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He, know, he knows his life is just about over. He's in jail and, uh, and he just knows that his life is just about over. I have fought the good fight, he said. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Well, I tell you, what a, what a wonderful thing to be able to say at the end of our, at the end of our life. I fought, I fought the good fight. I, I didn't quit. I just kept fighting. I've finished the course that God set for me, and I've kept the faith. I haven't, I haven't been, uh, I haven't wandered. I've been straight with God. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day. And not only here it is, not only to me, but to all who have loved His appearing. So we all, we all have a race to run. Every one of us, our own, our own difficulties, our own weaknesses. In Revelation chapter two. Paul is writing, I mean, the Apostle John is writing letters to the churches as dictated by the Lord. In Revelation chapter 2, the first letter he writes is to the church at Ephesus. And he writes this, he says, well, he introduces, introduces the letter and he says, I know your deeds, your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have, and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake, and not grown, not grown weary. So that they've had some good things, but he says, but I have this against you, that you have, you've lost your first love. 
Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deed you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So he says, you've lost your first love. You know, I've often, I've often felt that walking with the Lord is like a marriage. At first, everything is new and exciting and wonderful. You know, it's all bells and whistles. And, and uh, you know, I, I always like to talk to newlyweds after they've been married about, about a month. And I say, yeah, you're still having a good time. You've only been married a month. Some of the older married folks are giving me a little. But, we all, we all, but you'll find out after a while that it takes endurance to live with somebody. But over time, if I didn't get any amens, but over time, you know, it's in all marriages, unless you work at it, it, things get dull. The luster kind of wears off, and everything becomes kind of dull and ordinary and routine. So you have to you have to fire it up. You have to do things, you know, like it said in Revelation, do the things you did at first. I like to tell guys, you know. If your marriage, it seems like your marriage is not on fire like you want it to be, start doing the things that you did to win her. You know, a lot of times we, we treat our wives so, so much when we, when we, when we want to win them and we, and we want to gain their love. And so we treat them a certain way, but then we treat them different after we're married. No, you've got to treat them the same. Just love them always just like you always have. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about my marriage because it's wonderful. It really is. I don't want to embarrass my wife, but I just feel like I'm in love with her more now than I ever have been in my whole life. It's just wonderful what God has done in our lives. So he can do it for everyone too. So you have to catch yourself from time to time. I've had to catch myself over the years a few times. I hadn't gotten into any sin, but I'll just be honest, I've kind of... From time to time, I catch myself. I kind of drifted into some uh, some mediocrity, a little more carnality than than I than I should have in my life. You know, watching like you start watching too much TV. You spend too much time on things other than the things of the Lord. And you, you know, in Hebrews in Hebrews chapter two and verse one, it says we have to be careful that we don't drift away. And I've always felt drifting when you drifting is is an imperceptible thing. You know, it's like someone sitting in a boat and they kind of fall asleep and they're in one place, they kind of fall asleep and they wake up a little while later and they're just kind of somewhere else. They've drifted. They didn't feel it. You didn't notice it. It just kind of happens. And so you have to catch yourself. You drift away. And every once in a while, I've had to catch myself and say, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I, I look at myself and I say, you, 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 you've slipped some. You know, it's not that I've gotten into sin. I'm still praying. I'm still reading. I'm still studying. I'm still preparing. But... But the desire is not as firm as it used to be. I don't know how I don't know how to say it. I'm do, I'm doing it more as a matter of routine. So I have to catch myself and stir myself up again. Say, come on, get on fire for God and do the things you used to do. So what's the answer when things start getting routine? You might say, and ordinary. Well, shake yourself, repent, and and do the things you did at first. Finishing strong has always been a—it's uh, been a concern for me, to be honest with you. Because along the way, we've seen so many uh, fall. In Scripture, 
There are so many in, in the scriptures that didn't make it to the end. And we've known people on, in the natural so many times, pastors especially. I don't want to get into it too much, but we've known so many pastors along the way that have fallen into sin. Some we've known personally, some we've heard about, but it's amazing. And I guess part of the reason is because when, you, when, you've, when you're in the ministry, there's like a target on your back and the devil wants to, wants to get you to fall because the Bible says if you can smite the shepherd, you can scatter the sheep. So the shepherds have to be on, on their guard. But all of us have to be on our guards. But you have to understand that pastors, even ministers, pastors, people in the Bible, they're, they're men, mostly men, but they're men, meaning they're, 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 they don't, they're not superheroes. They have, their, they have their weaknesses. They have their flaws. And they, have to, and they have fights. They have to fight just like anybody else. God doesn't give you a special ticket if you're a pastor to, to, be, a, to be a Christian. You have to fight for it just like everybody else. And I was thinking of Peter, the Apostle Peter, who was used greatly by God. He was chosen to be an apostle. You know, there was a time in, the Bible says there was a time in Jesus' ministry where he went up on the mountain and he prayed all night. When he came down from the mountain, he selected, of all the people that were following him, and there was many, he selected 12 to be apostles to follow him. Peter was one of them. And he was selected to be apostle, and he was part of what you might say the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. There's a couple times in the scripture where it says Jesus took Peter, James, and John, just those three, and he did something. For example, when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he didn't take all those followers. He took Peter, James, and John. When he went in, when he went in to pray for Jairus' daughter, the, the synagogue official whose little daughter was dying, he took just Peter, James, and John. So he was kind of, he was in the, you might say, the inner circle. And he, he, he preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. In Acts chapter 5, it says Peter, uh, when he's on his way to the temple, they'd lay the people out in the street, and just Peter's shadow, if Peter's shadow was hit him, they'd be healed. It was amazing. People were getting healed just by hitting his shadow. He preached, he brought the, he was the man that God chose to bring the gospel to the Gentiles when, when he preached in Cornelius' house. He wrote letters that we consider scripture, and yet there was a time twice Peter missed it, there was a time when they, when they arrested Jesus and they brought him before the, the, the Jewish officials. Peter, Peter went into the courtyard and was watching him. And when they started, he saw when they were mistreating Jesus, they were beating him and slapping him and punching him. And someone said to him, hey, you are one of them. And he goes, no, not me. And he denied, we know the story. He denied him three times. And of course, God restored him. But later on, But later, later on in Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul rebuked Peter to his face. Listen, he says, when Cephas, Cephas is Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, the Apostle Paul said, I oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to coming to certain men from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw himself and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And when, they were not, when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to him, I said to Peter, Cephas, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So he, he, 
he, he, he, got, he, he yielded to the fear of man when the Jewish believers came, the Judaizers, those people that said, yeah, you, you, you accept Jesus, but you have to keep the law. And there was a great debate about that. And they, and they finally resolved that, no, you don't have to keep the law. You just have to have faith in Jesus Christ, the faith, by faith alone. But Peter was, Peter was rebuked by Paul for falling into the fear of man and yielding to the pressure of the Judaizers. So he's a man, just like all the rest of us. He's a human being, and he has weaknesses. And there are some fears. There are some fears that I've, I've had to get over. I shouldn't say get over. There's some fears that I've had over the years, but they're good fears. When I was, when I was flying, for one, when I was flying, I, you know, I, I had a fear of drugs. I never, I, I, I just, something about drugs scared me. I had no problem with alcohol. I consumed my fair share of alcohol because I knew I could get over a hangover. But there's something about drugs that scared me. I never touched them when I was, I felt, I felt something might happen. So I always resisted, I just never tempted to take them. And I've also had a, over the years, I've had a, a healthy fear, you might say. Not a, not, a, not a negative fear, a healthy fear of not finishing strong since I was called into the ministry. I've always had this kind of lagging thing. I've got to make sure I finish strong. I, don't want to be, I want to be like so many others that I've seen fall by the wayside. I remember listening to Kenneth Copeland back in the 80s, a long time ago, and I don't even I don't even remember the message he was preaching, but he but I remember this. He said this in the middle of that message. He was talking about people that have fallen, and he said, "Better men than me have fallen." And I thought, "Wow, Copeland," because I at that point Copeland was like, you know, put him up on a pedestal. He was like God. We thought he was the ultimate. And he said, "Better men than me have fallen." And I thought, if that could happen to them, it can happen to me. I better really watch it. So I'm not talking about people in ministry. You have to understand that people in ministry, we see people in ministry as, as kind of special, but they're human beings just like all the rest of us. They have strength and they have weaknesses, and the devil plays in their weaknesses and tries to get them to fall. I was thinking of Israel's, Israel's three uh, great kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And there are lessons to be learned in their lives as we study them. Saul was the first king of Israel. And he started, he started really good. He was, he was not seeking the limelight. When, they, when, when Samuel the prophet selected, was, was selecting a king in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Oh, that's Deuteronomy chapter 8. In 1 Samuel chapter 10. Samuel the prophet was selecting the first king for Israel. And it says in verse 20, Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin were taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near, and its families of the Matrite family was taken. And Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he couldn't find him. So the this prophet shows up and he says, the, next, the first king, you want a king? God's going to give you a king. His name is Saul. And where is he? They couldn't find him. And therefore they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, behold, he's hiding himself by the baggage. 
So he, he, wasn't, he wasn't promoting himself. He was humble, he was kind of shy, and he was hiding among the baggage. But later on in his life, he disobeyed God twice. One time, God told him to gather the armies and go to a certain place, and Samuel said, and wait for me, wait for me seven days, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice before you start the war so you can win. And Samuel went to that, and Saul went to that place with the army, and he waited seven days, and Samuel didn't come. So he got nervous because his men were afraid. When they saw the enemy army, they were afraid. They were kind of, some of them were deserting. He said, bring me the sacrifice. So he took the sacrifice and he offered it up. As soon as he did that, Samuel showed up. He said, what have you done? It was up to me to do the sacrifice, not you. So he disobeyed God. He, he got nervous. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, that happens to us when we, it seems like God isn't, isn't doing what we feel he should. We can't take matters in our own hands instead of trusting him. You have to trust God and wait for him, wait for his timing. But, and then the other time is when God told, Sam, God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites, to kill the men, women, and children, the donkeys, the camels, the goats, the sheep, everything that breathes was supposed to be killed. But when they, when they got there and they did that, Saul saw some really good-looking animals, and he said, oh, I'm going to take those to offer a sacrifice to God. He, he, he decided he knew better than God. And that's, you know, the scripture in 1 Samuel where he says, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed in the fat of lambs. For rebellion is a sin of insubordination and witchcraft. And for, because of that, he lost the kingdom for disobeying God. And then he became insanely jealous of David, tried to kill him. He even sought the advice of a, seek, of a psychic, of a medium. And he started strong, but he didn't finish strong. He finished very poorly. And David, was on, David, on the other hand, we know had one major failing in his life. The affair with Bathsheba and the conspiring to kill her husband Uriah. But David repented and God forgave him and he finished strong. The reason why he fell, though, is because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, listen to what it says. It says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon, and they besieged Reba. But David stayed in Jerusalem. David should have been out with his army fighting, but he stayed in Jerusalem. And because he was there, he saw a woman bathing on the roof, and he committed their great sin. So, but if he, if he was where he should have been, he'd have been all right. But he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes there's places we shouldn't go. Don't go there because you'll open yourself up to something that God doesn't want you to have. And finally, Solomon. Solomon was the third great king of Israel. And he had great revelation. God gave him, God gave him great wealth and great wisdom. There was nobody who was as wise as Solomon. And the, kings of the kings of the earth used to come to sit at his feet, so to speak, and just listen to his wisdom. And every time they came, they brought gold. I mean, this, this guy had more gold. You know, you know what it says? When, Sol, when Solomon was king... 
It says silver was not even considered worthy. Silver was not even considered worthwhile. Silver was like copper or brass. It wasn't even special because there was so much gold in the land. They brought him talents and tons and tons of gold. This guy had gold all over. But he, but he had a weakness. Solomon had a weakness. And it was women. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God told the, children, God told the men of Israel, not to marry the foreign women because they'll draw your hearts away. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses is giving instructions to the people of Israel. And when the, he says in verse 2, when the Lord God delivers them before you, you defeat them, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the, all the nations. When you defeat them, you shall utterly destroy them you shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall, listen, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So don't, you can't intermarry with them, not, because they'll draw you away into idol worship. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. You know, he had great giftings and anointings. He had great wisdom. But the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And Solomon blew it. He, mar- he, he married Pharaoh's daughter in 1 Kings chapter 3. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says he had 700 wa- foreign women, 700 wives and 300 concubines. This guy had a major problem. And they, they, they drew his heart off into idolatry. He got into terrible idolatry. And the whole nation got into idolatry because of it. And the Bible says that the Lord was angry with Solomon because he appeared to him twice. He appeared, God appeared to him twice. Most people don't even get one. A few people get, a few people get one, but Solomon twice God appeared to him. It's remarkable sometimes when people have tremendous giftings and anointings and you think that nothing can ever happen to them and they fall. I know one minister that God took him to heaven when he was eight years old and, and, appeared, and later in life he appeared, God, and Jesus appeared to him later in life and he still fell into sexual sin. You never know what's going to happen. You have to, you have to stay strong in God. You have to keep your prayer language going. You have to go and stay in church, keep in the Bible. You have to do the things that you know you have to do in order to stay strong because we're all susceptible to falling away and being tempted in different ways. Sexual sin has been a major weakness in the lives of many pastors and many Christians over the years. What's the solution? Well, one of the things we have to, one of the principal scriptures that helps me and it helps everyone is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. It says we need to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When your mind starts to wander, and, you, and, and the devil starts putting thoughts in your mind, you've got to cast them down. You've got to take control of your thought life. Say, no, I'm not thinking that. I'm not letting that in there. You know, Kenneth Hagin said, one time he said, you, 
You can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from nesting in your hair. In other words, there's thoughts. Thoughts are going to come to every one of us. Wrong thoughts, immoral thoughts, different greedy thoughts. But we, we have to just cast them down and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to meditate. I'm not going to let that in in Jesus' name. I'm going to keep my mind pure and holy in, in sight of God. We have to be careful what we let into our minds. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, we need to guard your heart with all diligence. Watch what gets into your heart. Be careful. And in another scripture in Proverbs 23, it says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. You know, there's people, there's people who are not living for God. They're very sinful lives. And it looks like nothing's ever happened bad to them. But their day, their day of reckoning will come with God. We have to walk, we have to be careful that we don't follow in their footsteps and become susceptible to the weaknesses of man. We've known people over the years, there's been many people we've known that have started walking with God and now you don't see them in church anywhere. What happens to so many people is they just kind of fall away. They're not not into any gross sin. They're not into any immorality. But they just got busy living life and they've kind of just started living life without, without, without the Lord. They haven't maybe haven't lost their salvation, but they're not where they used to be spiritually. I just, I just feel like calling them back today, you know, speaking to everyone who's not here but should be here. Say, come on back in Jesus' name. You know this, you know this is what's right. You know this is what you want. But do what, do what the Bible says. Do the deeds as you did it first. In other words. Start praying again. Just start. Don't, don't, don't try to make yourself pray an hour or two, but pray, pray just 15 or 20 minutes. I was listening to a, a message by Pastor Jensen Franklin uh, about three or four weeks ago, and the title of the message was Short Prayers. And what he was saying is you don't always have to pray an hour. Sometimes you can just pray a short prayer and be effective. And I was thinking, you know the Lord's Prayer that in Matthew chapter 6 is, Six is the Lord's Prayer. You can pray the Lord's Prayer, um, well, you can pray it real fast, you know, our Father, and everything, but th- that's where I used to pray when I went to confession. And the priest said, you have to do two Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. I could do that in about 30 seconds, and I'd be done. I'd be, um, I'm good, I'm good to go. <laughs> Come on, all, all you ex-Catholics, help me out. You know, that's what you did too. You used to pray, the, pray that penance, boom. Because, see, if you can pray it in just a short time, everyone thinks, oh, he must not have got too much penance. He must not be a bad sinner. <laughs> so, so the priest gave him just a short penance. But I did, it was a long penance, so I just prayed it fast. Oh, gosh, now where am I? Short prayers, thank you. But you can pray the Lord's Prayer and... And pray it very, very deliberately in about 30 seconds. Doesn't take long. And you can pray it and mean it. But anyway, so I'm just encouraging people to, to get back into your prayer life. Start doing the things you did before. Read the Bible. Come to church. And we have special guest ministry next week. Just come. Be, you know, we, we need you. We miss you. I want to talk to people who aren't here. We, we need you. We miss you. We, want, we, we would love to see you again. So we just invite you to come. Come back. Start over again. Get on fire again for God.
and see what God does in your life. It's important that we finish strong. In Ezekiel chapter 18, in Ezekiel chapter 18, there's a fairly lengthy passage of scripture. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what it says. But it basically it's talking uh, about someone who's, who's living, living right, following God, and then they kind of slip away and they start living the wrong. He said, in the end, the way they finish is the way they're going to end up. And it talks about someone who's living sinfully, living in iniquity, living in sin. And they turn, they start doing righteous acts. He says, they'll live and not die because they're righteous. So it's, it really, that whole passage of scripture is talking, it shows you, you, it's how we finish that counts. It's not how we start, it's how we finish. God wants us to finish strong, but it's not easy to finish strong. You have to be diligent. You have to kind of catch yourself every once in a while and say, shape up. Come on, let's get back to what we know is right. Let's start doing what we know is right and do it and do and serve God with all of our hearts. In James chapter 4, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. It can, it can come to any time, any place. Whenever, whenever you catch yourself, say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw near to God. I'm going to start doing what, doing what I know I should, doing what's right and I want to serve God. I want to, go out, I want to go out a winner. I want to go out strong. I want to be just as on fire 30, 40 years from now as I am today in Jesus' name. I say that, I've said that so many times to young people especially. So where are you going to be? Where are you going to be with the Lord 20 years from now or 30 years from now? You have to make a decision. I'm going to be following God just as close then, if not closer than I am today in Jesus' name. I'm not going to fall by the wayside. I'm not going to become a statistic. I'm going to be the person that God wants me to be. I'm going to stay on fire for him and serve him all the days of my life. And when I go, when I get ready to leave the earth, maybe I can say, I fought the good fight. I've finished the course. And I've kept the faith. I pray that for every one of you. I know it's my desire, and I'm working at it, and I know it's your desire too. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray for every one of us here today that we would look at our lives and say, God, my life belongs to you. I surrender to you and to your ways. I choose to walk after you with all my heart. I choose to serve you all the days of my life. And by the grace of God, I'll follow you all the days of my life. I'll, I'll stay faithful to you. I'll stay on fire for you. I'll walk after you with all my heart. Use me, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, Visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.